Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, rave line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch. Up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that race Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is going to do the same thing again year after year. Oh, no. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Rain of Troy Radio, episode 379, coming to you on Wednesday. August 19th, it is the first week of the second part of the off-season. Uh, the off-season extended into at least the spring. We're going to talk about the latest in USC football now that there will be no fall season. Talk about our ideas for spring camp, open up a mailbag, and so much more. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook Facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Omni Studio. Our email address is RainOfTroyFanSide.com, and our phone number is 213-373-1USC, Second Woodsburn Show. From the Reign of Troy studio here in Los Angeles, I'm your host, Mike Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Daratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. It is... It's August 18th. Yesterday was supposed to be the start of the second mm-hmm. version of fall camp. Yeah. Alabama opened mm. camp on Monday. Hmm. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing fine. I'm perfectly yeah. fine. You're, you're, you're completely. Yeah. Fine. Fine, 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 fine. Yeah. This nodding that you're doing. I, I'm yeah. really, I'm getting a sense of calm from it. I mean... Totally fine. Totally and completely fine. Yeah, I mean, who needs football? Man? I mean, like, like just, just who, you know, football was overrated to, to begin with. I, like, I know, like, you know, not like we're going to talk about like F1 or anything because we don't talk about that on this podcast. No. But, 
But, but like, there's also no F1 this weekend either. Oh, well, why you gotta... Nope, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. All right. This is fine. I mean, let's be realistic, though. Like, football is pain. So, really, we're better off not having it? No, football is fresh bread. <laughs> you want some more? Uh no. So I'm let's focus on the positives. Uh no all nighters on Saturday nights. Can can I just tell you I was thinking about this and I was putting together uh the the iPad is dead and I didn't charge it before I recorded this, so I'm 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 really underprepared for the soundboard. So on our recording uh, file over here. I had put in all of the drops for the news and the listener questions so that way I could have them ready to go to throw in to the recording when I needed to. And I was thinking, man, I don't have to stay up until like 7 a.m. doing the rant line montage. Yeah, see? see? That's kind of cool. It's, it's kind of like... That rigmarole we always do where, like, I'm seeking out all forms of caffeine and you're falling asleep uh, just, like, in the middle of the day, all that kind of stuff. Don't don't have to do that. We don't have to come on and do car casts where one or both of us are furious. Um, We don't have to... I mean, typically you. I mean, yes. typically me, but sometimes you get mad at me for being mad, so that, that happens. I've never been um, mad at you. I don't know what you're talking We about. don't have to deal with the... Twitter insanity that goes on. We don't have to deal with non-answers from coaches and players. We don't have to watch the more difficult parts of a football season. Um, I don't have there, to... There won't be a scoreless third quarter? There won't be a scoreless third quarter to track. There won't be a 14-point lead that's given up. Uh, I, I won't develop my annual uh, tank top tan from baking out in the uh in the summer heat for for camp uh so you know the, and and I won't have to do practice car casts from a boiling hot car there you go that's good so you know it's not it's not all bad i mean <laughs> this is this is total i mean think of all the money we're saving on on airfare uh, tons of money saved on airfare yeah so like when it comes down to it really we just hate football and in reality, uh, the universe is doing us a favor now by taking it from our lives. That That's totally what's happening. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. It, it, I it's swear, gonna, it's fine. Uh, Alicia, there's flames behind you all over the wall, but it, it's, it's <laughs> fine. It, it is absolutely, <sighs> absolutely fine. Um, yeah, in other news... Um, Lots of stuff coming <laughs> your way. Uh, we're going to find a way uh, to carry on with the podcast, obviously, uh, here as we go into a footballless season. Um, what that means, I don't know. Um, we're we're, we're going to tackle it. I mean, there's, there's these, these still ne- news to ne- cover. True. These next few weeks will be us trying to figure out how to survive um, in a year without college football. Uh, which will be fun, but you can... Oh, it's already been like eight months. 
I know. It's already been eight months, Michael. Well, if there's no spring, that means 12 uh, more. This is fine. This is like Groundhog's Day, except... Fuxatani Phil is going to come out. And they're going to be like, instead of being like, oh, six more weeks of winter, it's going to be like, 12 more weeks of off-season. Sorry, 12 more months, months of, of off-season. Off season. I wish it was just 12. Well, it was it 12 weeks. It might be 12 weeks, but... Uh, uh yeah. Anyways, uh you can you can su- help support the show. Uh keep our lights on for all that kind of stuff over at Patreon, patreon.com slash reign of Troy. Uh we're gonna be putting together some some more bonus content. Uh we we've got to finally find a way to record our final Breaking Bad uh episode, talking about the fifth and final season of Breaking Bad now that we have finished our watch of the show, Alicia. You're, you you have concluded your your first watch of the show. Yeah, I'm actually eager to do a second watch of the show, but I also now need to watch Better Call Saul. So yep. I have way Saul. too much uh, viewing things on my on my platter to deal with right now. But Breaking Bad, and I know that you love this, uh, was absolutely one of the greatest television series, if not the greatest television series that I have ever seen. So. Music There's to my that. ears. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So, but in addition to the off-topic core time, which remember back when we thought like core time would be like uh, three weeks of episodes. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. So yeah, in addition to the to the off-topic core time, we will be doing Patreon stuff that focuses more on the football side of things, whether that's historic, whether that's sort of debates, whether that's trivia, and There's and gonna the be like. a lot of only Skinnect. Oh, I up. cannot wait to do another game of only Skinnect. I I've been trying to figure out a way to do the uh the 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 connection wall connecting wall and uh it does not translate to radio so <laughs> it makes me sad but either way we will be continuing we put the connecting wall on play along on social media yeah and, and just have people send in their 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 answers, answers. yeah we yeah, can do that that could work uh, but either way the patreon will be continuing and we're going to continue to to put out uh, content on there so if you are a subscriber uh, please stick with us if you can um, and if you haven't subscribed yet now would be a really great time to show your support your support for the show so <laughs> let's just put it that way yep uh, patreon.com slash friend of choice where you can support the show um, 555 for all of our bonus episodes 10 bucks you get to join the slack channel and uh, get to talk to us in however much you want really um, on top of that, plus our bonus episodes. Alicia, let's get to the news, shall we? All right, Alicia, the Pac-12 and Big Ten are not playing in the fall. However, the other Power Five conferences, the SEC, the Big 12, and the ACC, are continuing on and still planning to play uh, this fall, as we, we talked about earlier, Alabama's already opened up their fall camp. The SEC just announced uh, a revised schedule, uh, which which will be fascinating. I think uh, the Crimson Tide opened the season against Missouri at the end of September. Um, if you're going to track uh, SEC football, um, the Big 12 announced some updates to their testing. The ACC is steadfast in saying that they can pull this all off. What what is what does it all mean right now for the for the 
for the Pac-12 and the Big Ten because you can look at this for sure and say, well, these other conferences are still going to try. Did the Pac-12 and did the Big Ten pull the plug a little too early? I think that's that's a reasonable question to be asking at this point. Um, we've seen some development on testing that we're going to talk about in a little bit, and um, we've seen the other conferences decide to push forward. We've seen some pushback on the myocarditis uh, study that the Big Ten was certainly relying on. So I think that, as has always been the case, everything that relates to COVID-19, everything that relates to the coronavirus, is an unknown, and what we don't know uh, is is much, much bigger than what we do know. So information is very unreliable at this point. When it comes to the Pac-12, I will give them credit. Their entire reasoning for canceling was because they don't know. Uh, and, and so I'll, I'll defer to them on that, 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 the, that the possibilities of things going poorly are enough to just say, let's not do it. Um, obviously, the Big Ten is having... <laughs> a lot more pushback on that front. Uh, Jason uh, Justin Fields has a petition out that's got more than 200,000 signatures trying to trying to let them play. But at the same time... Can, can I just add in here? Uh, well, like, who, who wouldn't first of expect all, him to want to play? Yeah, and, why wouldn't the players want to play? Of and course why they wouldn't 200,000 people sign that petition that yes. is no skin off their back? Uh, and the, the other point is, when has a petition like that ever worked for anything? Uh, <laughs> who I I can't name any. I feel like petition.org is just selling false hopes. I mean, sometimes those kinds of things work, but like not on the things that actually require serious change in order for things to 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 happen. Uh, public pressure, I think, is what petition.org is good for, but public pressure only works in so many contexts, and certainly wouldn't work in this context. Uh, so, you know, obviously the players want to play. We, we've known that. <laughs> that was never the question. Um, I think the, the, the question now is, could you have waited? Well, as we're sitting here on this, this Tuesday, as this, this goes out on a Wednesday, a day, two days after the Pac-12 was supposed to begin fall camp, can I really fault the Pac-12 for backing out when USC wasn't going to be able to, USC and UCLA at least, weren't going to be able to start their camp this week? no matter what. So then were we going to be waiting every day, waiting to see, well, when is USC going to start? When is USC going to start? When is USC going to start? Going to get to September and USC still hasn't started? Well, then you're not starting the season when you said you did. And already Mike Bone and uh, Martin Jarman, uh, the UCLA AD, had said they weren't playing that season opening game. Like, they all but said it. They weren't going to start the season on September 26th. So, the la- you know, the, the weeks coming up would have just been spent looking ahead to something that wasn't going to happen on that front. So, like, if you're the Pac-12, I think there is certainly that argument to just say, what was even the point of trying to ramp up for fall camp that was never actually going to happen? Uh, the, 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 the counterpoint to that is that the SEC, the Big 12, and the ACC are trying, and I think that the optics are, are certainly not looking great the closer those teams, those, those places get to having their season. And we're seeing Washington State has now had, I think, two guys who are going to transfer out. Um, I think we're, you know, USC, Clay Hilton was asked about transfers. I think I asked, I, I did ask the question about transfers. And he basically said, like, he thinks they're too tight-knit a team for that to really be something that happens and that if it happens, they'll figure it out later. But 
that he doesn't anticipate it being a huge problem for USC. And I, and I kind of believe him on that front. Um, I think there might be fringe guys who transfer, but I, I can't imagine the starters uh, broadly would, would take that route. So uh, maybe USC isn't super affected by this, but, but certainly the perception of the conferences is taking a hit and will continue to take a hit when you actually could have just said, we're going to wait, we're going to delay, and we're going to make this decision on September 1st. Yeah, the the way I look at this, I don't think that we have enough information to say if they did it too early or not. Um, you know, we is that not an argument to say that they should have just paused instead of canceling? Sure, maybe. But what what I'm saying is, I I'm not convinced at all that the Big Big Twelve, the SEC, and the ACC are still going to play. I I. If I had to bet on it, I'd bet there will be no college football, period, still. Um, that's that's where my head is, at least for right now. So I, I when when there's football, college football being played, I will believe it when I see it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I think if you're the SEC and if you're the ACC and, and the Big 12, you know, and I'm definitely not the first person to say this, but the the – the threshold of, of risk that they're willing to take on in the name of football is much higher than it is in the Pac-12. Yes. But but they can't say that. They, they no. can't just flat out say that. They have to do it through actions, which would be things like trying as hard as they can to possibly, possibly play, uh, taking um, you know interpretations of medical data a little bit differently than the Pac-12 and the Big Ten would. Um, and you know all these schools, obviously, all the everybody wants to play. There's too many millions of dollars at stake here, uh, which again is why, like, I don't buy into any conspiracy theory because there's too many t- dozens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions yes, of dollars at, at stake here for every school. Like, everyone needs to play. Uh, they're, they're not going to sit sit this one out for no reason. Um, and, and so if you're the SEC, I, I think you, you need to sell to your fans because your fans are more rabid than the Pac-12 fans, to just be straight up, um, that, that you tried and tried and tried and tried and tried to play. Um, I just don't think that it's going to end up actually happening. So I, I don't think that the, the, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten have egg on their face. They won't have egg on their face until those other schools complete uh, a season, and I would be shocked if that happened. If it does, I'll gladly sit here and you know eat plenty of crow, and I'll gladly sit here and say that um, that they those, those conferences pulled it off, and and credit to them and all that stuff. But I I'm just not going to hold my breath. Yeah, well, we're seeing now in places that have had students come back for classes that things have not exactly gone well because guess what? Breaking news, college students go to parties, and parties are hotbeds for spreading hotbeds for spreading the virus. But, so. but can I just say, like, I am tired of hearing these one-size-fits-all these one ex- explanations for things. Parties, protests, um, wh- whatever it is. I think that those are just easy scapegoats. Um, it's not that, yes, sure, surely anyone who is, you know being reckless themselves certainly have a higher chance of uh, of of spreading um the disease but like 
it, it's not just a one size fits all. This is just parties. Like well, this, is, it, it's it's way more than that. The pro, I would I would agree with that if we didn't have like officials from the schools citing off campus parties as the genesis of outbreaks. Like I agree. Well, what what it's are not, they going to say though? Yeah, I agree. It's not all parties, but. Okay, shocker, breaking news, college students will hang out with their friends. And in right. certain areas and, where and masks have, have are not... and all those things. Yeah, and in right. certain areas exactly. where masks are not necessarily uh, embraced by the public at large, that will be a bigger problem than, than in others. But either way, what we know about this virus is gatherings of human beings are bad when it comes to limiting the spread. Correct. And college campuses and college students are... By their very nature, people going to classes, people hanging out with friends, people being on campus is gatherings, large gatherings that's exactly, of people. That's exactly yeah, what but, I'm saying. But, but the point is that the college environment, this is why back in the spring, when we were looking ahead to the future of, of what was going to happen with the college semesters, let alone college football, many, many, many college official officials and administrators came out and said, we're not going to have sports if we can't have, you know, students on campus. And that was because if it wasn't going to be safe enough for the campus environment, which was going to be a, a hotbed situation, then it wasn't going to be safe enough for athletics. Well, guess what? Campus situations are not ideal for this moment. And we're seeing Notre Dame go remote for two weeks. And Notre Dame is just, you know, to me, they're they're uh, playing, to, to playing fair, music. Well, Notre but, Dame is remote. Well... But like they're just they're just you know playing music while the the Titanic is sinking. That was a geography. Joke. I, I gotcha. Um, UNC has gone fully remote now because they had a a big outbreak. Like how many other colleges are we gonna see have those outbreaks and will they impact the the athletic student body? That's that's the question I have. We're seeing students at large end up with the virus and 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 now contributing to the community spread of the virus. How many football players are gonna get? wrapped up in that and how will it affect the ability for somewhere like UNC for somewhere like Notre Dame or Alabama or whatever to continue with their season because I like you don't think that this will go forward except we're a very 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 big exception that the issue is almost political now and anytime something goes political uh throw all logic out the window because people will, people will dig their exist. heels yeah yeah uh Dig their heels rather than admit that something could be um, taken the other way or, or or whatnot. But let's talk about testing because testing is really the key for all of this. Um, not only if you could create a bubble, would that make things easier? But if you could just test better, that would certainly be able to make things uh, much easier for, for sports and for life in general, right? If testing was much simpler. Well, there is a new test. It is uh, Saliva Direct, and it's not completely new. It's It was uh, brought on w with help of the NBA, so that way they could play uh, in their bubble. It is more of a rapid test. Uh, you you want to explain that a little bit better than, than I could? Yeah, so instead of using the sort of nose swab, it's just a, a saliva test. Um, I think you might actually even spit for it, and uh, you can get the results uh, under 24 hours so it's just faster than the, than the testing that we've seen for in a lot of places, and uh, it's it's an easier way to test people. And it's the kind of thing that as soon as it was announced that it had been FDA approved, uh, it uh, was the kind of thing that a lot of people heralded as this is how you save sports, this is how you save college football. 
um, John Wilner might, uh, his, his column, his article kind of threw a lot of cold water on that from the Pac-12 perspective. Yeah, Wilner cited in an article posted on Tuesday uh, that the Pac-12 report uh, that they put out last week, it's a 12-page report and talks about the reasons for not going through with a fall season. It had in bold, athletes should be tested within 24 hours of competition to ensure they are not infectious while competing. Uh, and in terms of saliva direct, uh, there's quotes from University of Washington Dr. Kim Harmon about it and, and how it uh, uses a PCR machine and what that means. Uh, and Harmon says there's nothing special about that test. We have PCR tests, but to do everything is logistically difficult. Uh, Harmon also said that no Pac-12 campus currently has the full complement of resources needed to process PCR tests on site, which would eliminate shipping time. Shipping time is a key component here just because of, yeah, the logistics of all this. Being able to do it, you know, you're, you're talking about hundreds of athletes, um, on a, on a game day. Yeah, so I went in a deep dive to try and figure out PCR tests, how many uh, are out there, how long it takes to do them, what kind of challenges there are with them, uh, because I had an exchange with someone on Twitter about how, uh, you know, why couldn't you just use the medical schools that uh, each of these universities has available to them to do, if not on-site, certainly close by testing with PCR machines that you already sort of have in, available to you so that you don't have to contract out to a lab. The Pac-12 has contracted out to a lab uh, for their testing. And so what we know is that going through that lab is not quick enough. They've said it's just not quick enough to get it done. So why not switch over to the PCR test that you could do closer to home? And from what I could find, it's just super complicated. Uh, PCR tests take some time. I found that uh, the fastest sort of model that they have can process a test, and these are the ones that are like in the UK, I guess, uh, can process a, a single test in 13 minutes. But from what I can read, from what I can find, not all PCR machines are that fast. I've seen estimates in the area of it takes uh, you know an hour or two to process a single PCR uh, sample. And uh, for that matter, you can only do one sample per machine. So if you were going to say, you know, USC has a, a handful of machines at the USC Medical Center, which I don't even know if they do. I don't even know how many standard PCR tests, uh, test machines that you would have in, in a standard lab. I have no idea. So if someone knows better than me, please write in and let us know because I would really actually like to know because I couldn't necessarily find that information. But these are extremely expensive pieces of, uh, of testing equipment. So I don't imagine that you have just sort of 50 lying around willy-nilly. It takes, a, you know, an hour to process a, a sample, and you have one or two or five machines, and you're trying to test 150 people from Friday night uh, to Saturday afternoon. Um, it might take a while to get that done. So while you can get the result in under 24 hours on a PCR test, can you get the results of 150 different tests. Now, I, I've looked into pool testing, which I think is very intriguing. It's where you take like 50 different tests and you test them all together. And if they come back negative, then you can say that all 50 of those tests are negative. If they come back positive, you start separating the tests into smaller groups until you identify which group had the, the positive test and then you uh, do it that way. 
Um, but I've also was reading some stuff about how that is somewhat difficult uh, to do with COVID-19 testing and that it's not necessarily surefire and it's sort of it's not a magic bullet. The other problem that a lot of testing uh, problem the, the testing facilities have is lab equipment from down to the little pipettes that you use, down to the little swabs that you use, down to the uh, chemical mixtures that you have to use to run these tests are not readily available. They're also extremely expensive at this point because they're not readily available. So while USC might have the PCR machines that they need to do the testing that they need to do, they might not have the formula, the, the fluids that they need. They might not have the equipment that they need and they might not be able to get it quickly enough to guarantee that they can do those tests. Now that's USC. Does Oregon State have those capabilities? Uh, does Washington State have those capabilities? Does Colorado have those capabilities? I don't know. But each of the 12 schools in the Pac-12 might find it challenging to A, have enough machines on site, B, have enough uh, uh, of the uh, equipment that you need to do those. The manpower and the, the financial cost of it all might just be too great to actually make it work. And maybe this is where you can criticize the Pac-12 because clearly the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 are, do- are going to push forward and figure out a way to make it work with the test coming in, in in 24 hours or less, or they're at least more hopeful of doing it, of, of making it work, where the Pac-12 has essentially bowed out before they could even try to sort of force the issue. But it is complex. It is complicated. It's not as simple as just, you know, you push a button and you get a result. These are scientific tests that that are never as uh, as, as easy as, as they seem. So... I am no expert. This is just the, the what I've been able to read uh, and understand in a short time that I that I tried to research this, but it doesn't seem cut and dry to me at all. Yeah, and and not to mention that you know these labs, uh, whether it be a third party or whether it be USC's own lab or any of these uh, Pacto schools labs. It's not like they they function strictly at you know they don't exist for USC football's. Yes. Edification. There's other things going on. They've got they've got other um, other things to do, right? Um, other research is going on. Other projects are going on. So, and the, they may already be contracting out, like for the right. community testing that's going on in Los Angeles, for instance. Yeah. So you're gonna then barge but, but this, through. This, and this is why, again, if you had created a bubble, you would have been able to uh, theoretically be able to find a way to put all these these testing centers, like make one testing center, right? And then find a schedule for testing inside that bubble and all that stuff. But again, it's kind of difficult to actual, actually create a legitimate bubble when these are college kids. And um, that's just the reality. Uh, speaking of college kids, talk about college quarterbacks uh the pro football focus pff uh put out a list of the 130 starting quarterbacks in the country and ranked them all of them uh whether or not they are going to play in this fall or not this was done by anthony treesh over at pff who ranked keaton slovis as number seven in the country uh and the criteria here says which programs are in the best and worst shape at the quarterback position as we look forward 
to the 2020 college football season. Keen Slovis, 7th. Who's around him? Here's the top 10. Number 1, Trevor Lawrence. Number 2, Justin Fields. I think we all could have predicted that in any order. Those two, easily 1 and 2. Uh, from there on, you get Jamie Newman at Georgia, number 3. Sam Howell from North Carolina's 4. Tanner Morgan from Minnesota's 5. Sam Ellinger from Texas is 6. Keaton Slovis from SC is 7th. Brock Purdy from Iowa State is 8th. Dustin Crum is 9th from Kent State. And Lane Hatcher from Arkansas, Arkansas State is 10. Um, this is, you know, an interesting conversation because we've talked about this before, Alicia, that there, there's tiers here, right? And the top tier is just Lawrence and Fields. And that's it. And the next tier is pretty much most of these guys in this top ten, right? Your Ellingers, your Purdy's, your Slovises, your your Howells, your Morgans, your Newmans. Guys who have had one or two seasons of really good play, but they aren't at the elite level that Fields and Trevor Lawrence is. And you look at Keen Slovis being ranked seventh, and what, what Treese writes here, Few expected Slovis to look like one of the best quarterbacks in college football after he was thrust into a starting role in week one. Yet Slovis, a three-star true freshman last year, was the only other quarterback to rival Joe Burrow's historically good accuracy over the course of the college football season. Slovis ranked second to only Burrow in the percentage of accurate passes thrown beyond the line of scrimmage. Pretty high praise. I mean, yeah, uh, comparing you to to Joe Burrow at any time is going to be extremely high praise, and it goes to show just how good Keaton Slovis was in that air raid offense. Uh, I think that, um, you know, there are still people out there who think that Slovis was just the product of that offense. To me, it's the perfect marriage of OC and quarterback, and it's what happens when you get... And receivers. And receivers, and, and yeah, the whole offense, but when you put the right guy in charge of the right offense with the right talent around him, he's going to go off, and that's what Keaton yep. did. And so, yeah, I think it's perfectly fair to throw to throw Keaton in there at number seven. Uh, he has, obviously, a lot to prove in year two. He needs to make sure that he doesn't have a sophomore slump, that he continues to progress and grow, that he doesn't make the same mistakes uh, that he made as a freshman, which, you know, he did make mistakes in the in the BYU game. He made mistakes in the Oregon game. He, he made mistakes... Uh, at times, also with the how long he held onto the ball and got himself hit, had himself fumbled, had himself injured. So he obviously has to progress quite a bit, but the the potential is incredible there. The potential right. with him and Graham Harrell working uh, together is just sort of on another level. Especially when you know he's not losing any talent around him as far as uh, receivers go. So. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's an exciting time for USC from the quarterback position. Michael Pittman, position. hello, geez. Well, I mean, uh, collectively. No, I, I know what you mean. I know I know what you mean. There's, there's the, he's not le- losing talent he's still in, ha- in a in a global sense. He's still going to have one of the best receiving cores in the Pac-12. Yes, right. So, uh, you know, that's that's something that is certainly working to to his benefit. Uh, but he he, I think he's worthy of the praise that he's getting this off season. We've seen before that. Praise doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to take that next step forward. Uh, we wanted to see Sam Darnold take a bigger next step forward every year, and, and I don't think we necessarily saw that in, in 2017. We saw him be great in the ways that we knew he was great, but he didn't elevate himself up to now he's in that conversation with the Trevor Lawrences, with the Justin Fields of the world, where he's a Heisman contender. 
Yeah, and speaking of praise, um, I think our praise for this list... <laughs> it's over? It, yeah. it, it ends right there. Th- this is one of those lists where you, you look at the top and you're like, yep, that's... Yep. Yep. yep no okay. complaints. All right, yeah. all right. And then you you look at the, the, the blurb that's written for most of these quarterbacks, and yeah, I, I agree with what's said. And then you look at the rankings down the list, and I don't know where this thing went awry, but it is extremely off I can, the rails. I can tell you exactly where it, where it goes off the rails, Michael. <laughs> number 13 is exactly where okay. it goes off the rails. All right. Uh, number 13, Grant Gannell from Arizona. Uh, yes, Grant Gannell, the guy who filled in for Khalil Tate last year at the Coliseum, who played a few games when, when Tate was hurt and benched. Grant Gannell, number 13, ahead of Ian Book at 17. Ahead of KJ Costello at at 18, Spencer Rattler next in line for OU at quarterback is 20th. Chase Garbers at Cal is 21st. Jake Bentley. Jake Bentley. From Utah. Yeah. In case you didn't know, which I'm sure some of our listeners didn't know who Jake Bentley was, because who is Jake Bentley? 38th. Uh, Taylor Shaw, 47th from, from Oregon. All of this ahead of Davis Mills, who's 55th from Stanford, who played a little bit last year, and all of them ahead of number 63, Jaden Daniels from Arizona State. Number 63. So I'm reading this list, and you are starting to get to the bottom of it and go like, wait, what? Wait, what? And I'm reading through it going like, wait, where's Jaden Daniels? Oh, I must have missed him. So I scroll back up to the top 20. I'm reading through. I don't see him. Like, oh, that's weird. I scroll back up to number one and go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 11, 12, all the way down, and I realized, no, I didn't miss him. They rank him 63rd. 63! No, I'm not the biggest Jaden Daniels fan. I think anyone who says that he was better than Keaton Slovis last year is smoking something. But the idea that he's 63rd, the idea that Utah, Oregon, and Stanford wouldn't jump at the chance to take Jaden Daniels as their quarterback, the idea that Grant Cannell is a better quarterback at this stage than Jane Daniels. 50 places better? 50 places better. When Grant Cannell had 170-some-odd uh, attempts last year, he got in the USC game essentially in, in garbage time. He didn't play in the in the most competitive uh, part of that game. And Jane Daniels was just objectively did more in his in his, in his first season there than any of those quarterbacks that we're talking about. J- Jake Bentley and Tyler Show and, like, they've got nothing to show for their current careers. Davis Mills was mediocre at best last year, and you have him a- ahead of ahead of Jaden Daniels. I like Chase Garbers, but Jaden Daniels was also better in, in the games that he played than Chase Garbers was. So, like, I don't get it. It gets better. I'll say it gets better. <sighs> Jason Shelley. Uh, formerly of Utah, now over at Utah State. Talking about a rivalry transfer. By the way, this is the first time I realized that he had transferred to uh, <laughs> to Utah State. He's 71. Jacob Sermon, you know, Coach Sermon, Peter Sermon's son. Who hasn't played it down. Who has not played it down at Washington, 77. Uh, Tristan Gebbia at uh, Oregon State is 85th. I don't think he's played it down either. Cameron Cooper. Washington State hasn't played many downs, if at all. Ninety-three, all ahead of Bo Nix at Auburn, who is ninety-five, the SEC freshman player. <laughs> the 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 line that they had about Bo Nix 
that they said that he was the SEC freshman of the year, but he didn't play like it. Like, dude, he was the SEC so, freshman okay, of the so year for a reason, he, though. Here's, here's my beef. I, I'm completely down with looking at this and being like, you know, Bo Nix wasn't as good as, as people thought because he had, you know, a good offensive line around him. Uh, he had a lot of talent around him, blah, blah, blah. Auburn didn't win games because of Bo Nix, blah, blah, blah. I get it. And if you want to say that Grant Gannell might be, uh, you know, a, a breakout star, which which is written here that, you know, uh, he he was accurate on 65.9% of his passes, uh, which would have ranked third in college football, uh, and he's looking to be a breakout star rate waiting, waiting to happen, I'll hear that debate throughout. Except the knock on Bo Nix in, in the text here was how he was the, the number one dual threat quarterback and he didn't play like it in year one. You can't knock a guy for not for doing that while then putting together dudes who have barely played at all way ahead of them. Uh, I mean, like, yeah. it, it, the logic there does not make any sense you can be, to me. You can be critical of, of the mistakes that Bo Nix made. But he's still done a hell of a lot more than Jason Shelley, Jacob Sermon, Tristan Gebbia, and Cameron Cooper. Like, I, I and and ninety six is Dorian Thompson Robinson, and yeah. you know, uh, you you read the blurb here. Let's start with the good. Uh, DTR is a great athlete and can create big plays with his legs. True. Yep. I think we all agree. He had two uh, or more carries that resulted in ten plus yard gains. Native is eleven games. Uh, now for the bad, he has a maddening tendency to miss open receivers and struggle to protect the ball, blah, blah, blah. We all agree with that. Um, we all see that there's upside there. There's downside, absolutely. But we, that, all, we all know this. That ranking is totally but ignoring the, the 90, upside. Yeah, he's not the 96th rank. Like, UCLA is not the 96th. They don't have the 96th best quarterback situation. Yeah. That, that, that's asinine. No, DTR is an incredibly flawed quarterback, but at his heights... He is an effective playmaker, right? And you can ding him for the and the, you're the lows. Him below Davis Mills, yeah, who is the most boring, milk toast quarterback that I have ever watched in my life. So, like, again, it's it's just like it's like this ranking basically did. Are you incredibly flawed? Well, these are all your negatives, so we're just gonna drop you to the bottom of the list. No, you gotta balance out. Like DTR's positives and negatives might end him up at a C, but a C is not ninety sixth. In you know right. you got to average this stuff out, and then the the worst example of that is I'll let you take it because you so, were irate when you saw it. I was scrolling through this. One hundred and twenty ninth is Adrian Martinez, second worst, second worst in the country. Adrian Martinez from Nebraska. I understand that he didn't have that great of a sophomore season, and you know he was predicted to be like one of the the best. Um, uh, fantasy picks in in the fantasy league last year, and I took him in the first round. Um, so you'd think that you wrote this thing, and we're and we're dinging him for failing you in fantasy. Like a hundred and twenty ninth? Are you kidding me? Like this doesn't make any any sense. So you know we we can sit here and say that you know good on Keaton Slovis for being ranked seventh, but. I don't know that I want to put stock in this list. I just think e- that... Even if we can sit here and say most of the top ten seems about right. Well, because the top ten is easy to rank. I think sure, yeah. the top ten is like the, the top ten is the easiest to rank because you know 
those are the really good guys. It gets a lot harder when you get down below and you have to decide, well, okay, where is... Where it, is it does prove that there's only like 15 good quarterbacks yeah. in, in the country. And, and after, the rest after are that, on... you, you get to a pool of mediocrity. Yes. For sure. And And it's hard to rank mediocre things because they're right. all... It's hard. You have to decide what it is that's going to separate them from Jane each Daniels other. I don't think Jaden Daniels is mediocre, though. No. Well, I don't think anyone thinks Jaden Daniels is mediocre either. Uh, so apparently, this dude does. That's what, like, I, again, I don't, I don't know. But like, okay, I get it. This is PFF, so they're going by their numbers and they're and they're deep diving into the stats. But this is also why sometimes stats can go wrong because I could look at you know any stat and decide that that's going to determine that that a player is is bad. And just ro- roll with that because I've decided that that's that's who they are. Well, this is accuracy. What would Cody Kessler have ranked? Incredibly high. He would have been top five because that's what he was good at. He he lacked at some other things, but he was incredibly accurate. And like that's why Davis Mills is ranked where he is at fifty because at least he's kind of accurate. Doesn't really make any other plays beyond that, but at least we can look at the accuracy percentages and say that he's a good quarterback relative to like. To to uh, Jaden Daniels, who maybe is more inaccurate, maybe makes worse throws some of the time. But you know what? I'd rather have a quarterback that actually made plays and had you know a few errant throws every game than the one who's well, never going to... It's the same with DTR. Yeah. Like, like you sign up for a, a lack of accuracy with DTR knowing what he can get you otherwise, right? Yeah. Like, it's, it's a give and take. And And I get that some of this will be personal preference. Some of this will be just the way you see the world, but... I, I think this list is just so unbalanced, and I think that's what stands out about it. I think that you could you could acknowledge the playmaking ability of players like Bo Nix and Doran Thompson-Robinson and uh, Jaden Daniels and adjust your rankings accordingly instead of just deciding that you have bad numbers in this in this area, thus you are one of the you know bottom you are the bottom half of quarterbacks in college football, which is just not true for any of those names I just said. Yeah, it is uh, mind-boggling to uh, see it that way. But uh, let's get on to uh, the B block here and talk about spring football, or at least our idea of spring football. Uh, Alicia, we have each written our plan for spring football. Uh, This is an argument. This is a test case. Us talking about ideals here. Uh, so the the task is to talk about our ideal spring football plan in detail, and for the sake of argument, we are assuming that COVID nineteen uh, and the protocols are one hundred percent safe and sound and affordable for the Pac twelve. So, assuming they can they can safely play, what would your plan be for the spring spring football? Yeah, and and frankly, I think it is possible to be safer in spring football. Uh, because if you get community spread down, then risk level goes down. And all of those myocarditis and, and uh, underlying concerns are less of a concern if it's less likely for players to actually contract the virus. So I think it is very possible to be at a stage with COVID-19 uh, where you can go ahead with this. Although, I mean, we don't know. We'll see where we are. But here's my plan. Okay. So you go in to the start of January and you start ramping up in January. So January is your, you know, a couple weeks of uh, of of conditioning workouts, a couple weeks of, of strength and conditioning kind of stuff until you get to a point where on February 1st, 
you can begin spring camp. Spring camp, fall camp, training camp, whatever you want to call it. So on Monday, February 1st, you start your camp and you have a full month to do camp because your first game is going to be on March 6th. So game one is on March 6th. This is going to be a six-game schedule. I have some flexibility. I'll talk about it at the end. So March 6th, you play game one. March 13th, you play game two. March 20th, you play game three. You have a bye week, March 27th. Personally, I would say have every school be on bye week at the same time just because it's such a short schedule. But if you wanted to move those bye weeks around so you still have games uh, between those uh, those middle three weeks, then by all means, go ahead. It's a short season. I don't think you necessarily need one, but you can play around with that schedule. March 27th, like I said, would be a, a date that I would have be a bye week, but maybe you play games on that day. April 3rd, game four, April 10th, game five. And then on April 17th, you play the title game slash south-north matchups. So you do 1v1, 2v2, 3v3, 4v4, so on and so forth, so that every every team gets a six-game. Your your season is wrapped up in mid-April, just ahead of uh, finals, or what you presume to be finals, so that your student-athletes, quote-unquote, uh, sarcastically, quote-unquote, can go ahead and focus on, uh, on on finals like you would like them to do. Then you have... Uh, May, June, and July, where the players aren't being worked hard as far as practice, their bodies can recover, and you can move toward a relatively un uh, un sort of marred 2021 season where maybe you don't want to start camp at the start of August, but use a similar schedule like you were going to do this year where on August 17th or 15th or whatever day it turns out to be, uh, you start camp with an eye on starting your season at the end of September. Maybe you have to do a conference only. Maybe you can get together with other conferences, which is where my flexibility comes in. If you're the Pac-12 and you go to the Mountain West and say, hey, you want to get together and, and play uh, opening weekend games just as like a ramp up to our season? Do you want to be our preseason game? Uh, you you, you want to go ahead and we'll give you the, the paycheck in order to have USC play whatever Fresno State, whatever is most convenient for for the Pac-12 schools to play a Mountain West uh, opponent. Um, You could even do something where you've talked to the Big Ten and you figured out what is their spring schedule plan and do an end-of-season seventh game, move everything up a week, and have April 17th be your mini Rose Bowl Pac-12 10 uh, big 12 uh, sorry pack 10 pack 12 big 10 rivalry day where 1v1 2v2 3v3 4v4 and all the way down uh, you'd have what two Rutgers can can skip it Rutgers can skip it whatever um at, at the very least maybe you match up with if you're USC you talk to maybe Notre Dame maybe it's Notre Dame for USC instead uh whatever it is you have some sort of season-ending finale where you're pairing up or start your season with out-of-conference kind of situation, and that way both of you can sort of feed the the monster in terms of the, the TV money and all that kind of stuff. But I think if you wanted to expand on this schedule, you could. I think the starting point should be how do you get six games done? If you can get six games done, do them. And if you can then expand to seven, eight, or nine, then more power to you. But at least, at least, at least, at least, commit to a six-game schedule 
where you can do divisional play. That's the other thing I didn't mention. Pac-12 South playing Pac-12 South, week one, week two, week three, week four, whatever. Uh, so you have five divisional games and then a sixth sort of north-south cross-competition game. But that's all you technically need. You don't need more than that unless you can make it work. So you don't have to try and pigeonhole a nine-game schedule in here. You can do six and then and then go from there. All right, I dig it. Uh, let's go to my plan. And uh, just full disclosure, uh, I did not read a lot of people's plans. So if there's similarity, I think there's going to be uh, some of that just inherently in here. Um, my thought is you, and this is a little bit more robust. I think yours might be more realistic. Mine might be more pipe dreamy. That's fine with me here. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about a nine-week schedule of a season. Uh, that does not include camps. Camps begin early, let's just say January 10th, which is the day traditionally of the college football national championship game, that Monday, uh, the, the second Monday of the calendar year. Um, that's when camps could open. Uh, you can have workouts open that day, uh, whatever. This gives you uh, about six weeks before the first game. Uh, on Saturday, February 13th, the week after the Super Bowl, uh, I said nine weeks, right? Well, here's how it works. Each team plays up to six games. Uh, five versus your division in the Pac-12. So five other games in the Pac-12 South USC would play. Uh, and then you get one optional out-of-conference game. That out-of-conference game can be against an FCS team. It can be against an FBS team of any other uh, conference. Or it can be against a Pac-12 North team. Or even another Pac-12 South team. You want to schedule them a second time. If you really want to limit uh, travel even further, uh, you could do that. Um, if you if you scheduled if SC scheduled Oregon, it would not count in the Pac-12 standings. By the way, uh, the only games that would would be your interdivisional games, right? Um, so those are six up to six games. Uh, five plus one. The the plus one game is optional, uh, and then there's two bye weeks in there. So those are eight of the nine weeks. The ninth week is the Pac-12 championship game, which I have scheduled for April 10th, a week earlier than yours. It's the week after the Final Four, uh, and it's the same week that USC has traditionally scheduled a spring game. So if the season ends right there, um, it's actually a week before SC usually ends spring camp because lately they've put, been putting the spring game or the spring showcase, whatever you want to put put it as, as that second week of April where the camp ends on the third week of April. Mm-hmm. Um, so... That's your season. Those are the nine weeks right there. Now, I have it in here. If and only if the Pac-12 and the Big Ten are on the same schedule, if that tends to happen, why not play a Rose Bowl May 1st? Only those two teams. Everyone else, your season's done. That's it. No bowl games. No postseason games. But if... Everything aligns with the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. Play a Rose Bowl May 1st. I love it. If not, then don't. Yeah. But, like, I think if you're the Pac-12, you should already be having conversations with the Big Ten about how they make their spring work. Like, not having conversations is part of the, the whole mess that, if, if that they're in right now. If nothing else, but to have some, some group think, right? Like, yeah. 
to figure out what'll work. And then, if yeah, if you're the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, of course you want to play a Rose Bowl game, and that would be a beautiful time to play it, too. So what I like about your schedule is the out-of-conference optional, because you can see a world where USC plays its five South Divisional games and... Uh, maybe not, but like, could you get Notre Dame to play their spring game against USC in a real exhibition game? Like, probably not. But well, well, uh, if would, they move to the spring anyways, thing. yeah. Like, if those if those schools play in the fall, then you're really going to be limited to whoever else is is playing at that time. Yeah, yeah. So it could get. Uh, it, it could just be a crossover game. It, it could be. You schedule Oregon, you schedule Washington, whatever, um, and it just not count uh, against your division record, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, or or you go to the Big Ten and you say, hey, wouldn't it be cool if USC and Michigan or USC and Ohio State yeah. played? Yeah. So yeah, my 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 season ends April 10th, and if there's a Rose Bowl, it would be May 1st for just those two teams participating. Um, obviously. Uh, and then I have uh, you open fall camp the the Tuesday after Labor Day, which will be September sixth, and you start a ten game, twenty twenty one, season on October second. So it would mean two shortened seasons uh, in, within the calendar year. But I think that we all have kind of assumed that that's the case, right? Like I I, I don't. Unless there's no season at all, I think 2021 is absolutely still going to be effective. See, and that's my thing is I've seen people talk about like not wanting to affect 2021, but quite frankly, I would I rather. Think, I think the only way to to not affect 2021 is to not play the se- the spring yes, season. Right. And I would rather have a spring season and an effective 21 2021 season than to not play. I'd rather have two shorts than than uh, one than, than one than one normal. Yeah. Um, that that go a full calendar year, uh, year and a half, as it were, before you see another another football game. So, um, I would I would absolutely go ahead and and sacrifice slightly the the normality of the of the 2021 season, which who knows if it'll even be normal by that stage. No one knows at this point. Uh, but yeah, I think I can live with a 10 game, a 10 game uh, 2021, and and maybe that 10 game 2021 is. Nine plus one, nine conference games plus one. Uh, maybe it's ten conference games. Whatever, whatever it works out to be. A lot of that will depend on what are other schools around the country doing. But it's doable. Good, good reason to get rid of the ninth conference game. Mm-hmm. This is true. If they can get rid of the stupid DH, I mean the the sorry, if they can add the stupid DH in baseball. Then. <laughs> But I think what both of us have proven here is that the spring season is imminently doable. And obviously, if coronavirus gets out of hand over the Christmas period, over the winter period, a lot of this will change. Uh, You have to be flexible here. But it is imminently doable. And I've heard a lot of people talk about how, like, you can't play football games in January in Wisconsin. No one's talking about playing football games in January in Wisconsin. Like... You can play your season like I've mapped out, where you're not starting games until February. You would be doing camp in February. You'd be doing spring camp in February. So, like, don't tell me you can't play football, because you do it every year. So it's just a matter of of willingness. Not to mention that, you know, um, oh, heaven forbid Wisconsin play a game in the cold. Yeah. But yet, 
ASU and Arizona have to play 100-degree games? Yeah. Like, or in the SEC. They play yeah. in the middle of the, you know, the humid, hot yeah. heat the, summer. They have to like, play in the heat, but but heaven forbid that, that, that Michigan will be a little cold. Yeah. Poor Michigan. I know. It, it, I just think it's all excuses. I think it's all excuses. Because as we've proven with these with these tentative... Like, I know it's more complicated than putting the dates down, but like putting the dates down is... is Part of the step. Like, you right. can make this work if you want to. Yeah. Uh, my, my last little thing here before we get to the mailbag. Uh, I put this on Twitter. Uh, and I'll keep this super brief. I, I opined why, and b- with the exception of tradition, 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 with, with the, the exception of that being a reason not to do it, which is always going to be a reason not to do anything, uh, especially in college football, a, a game that is so in, entrenched in tradition and history, right? Why can't college football become a spring sport? Like, forever. Like, in general. Uh, not talking about COVID. Like, COVID notwithstanding. Why couldn't couldn't this be a spring sport? I would argue it would improve the game to make it a spring sport. And let me throw a couple of reasons for you here. Uh, number one, if you move this to the spring, both the NFL and the um, college football, I think their their TV distribution would immediately improve. College football especially. Uh, there's, there's 130 teams in FBS, and they're all supposed to play on a Saturday? And they're all supposed to be on TV? That's how you end up with the Pac-12 playing games at 10.30 Eastern, right? Because they're the only conference on the West Coast. They have to take advantage of the West Coast time zone that way. Um, It only makes sense that ESPN would put the Pac-12 on at that time. They're not going to put the SEC on at that time because those games would start, uh, obviously, insanely late, and it wouldn't make any sense. Their their own fans wouldn't watch, blah, blah, blah. But the Pac-12 has people watching games at 7.30 local and, and, and whatnot, right? If you had a a spring season, if football was always in the spring, first of all, what do we always t- we we hear that uh, people want to become we we want football year round, and this is why we have the XFL, and this is why there's been you know arena football was big for like two years, right? Um, TV partners want to find the NFL equivalent for the first half of the year in terms of TV ratings, and they never can do it. This is why the XFL and the AAF got all those big money deals for TV was because they wanted to really try. And, and it's, it's the white whale is a spring NFL or spring football season. Well, why not just make it college football you, that you know people will watch? Uh, and then if you do that, the NFL has the entire weekend in the fall. College football has the entire weekend in the spring. Uh, if the Pac-12 doesn't want to play games at 10.30 uh, Eastern on a Saturday night, maybe they can play in primetime on Sunday night. The NFL plays in primetime on Sunday nights and does quite well there, right? Like, there's plenty of, of time slots that would open up. You would have triple and quadruple headers both days of the weekend. Uh, money would improve, you would think, for TV revenue. Now, uh, for the Pac-12, that would obviously behoove them. Now let's talk about this from a development perspective. You 
push back your season a semester, which means that your incoming recruits then spend the fall semester. Uh, your fall semester is what the spring semester used to be, where you just have a little brief camp, a little mini camp. Probably it would be more mini in this in this sense, just because of the time crunch of a fall semester. Uh, so you have a mini camp. Uh, it essentially would allow all of your your recruits to be early enrollees because they could all go through that camp um, in the fall semester, which would give them two camps before their first season. Uh, you wouldn't need um, you wouldn't need players uh, enrolling early anymore. They could stay in, on their high school campuses longer. Uh, they wouldn't have to rush. Uh, less academic casualties. All these kind of things, right? You, you would improve the development of your freshmen. You'd improve the the physical maturation of your freshmen by a semester. Um, the only pushback I can think of is number one tradition, because it would feel weird playing college football games uh, in the spring. It, it would feel weird having the Rose Bowl on like Memorial Day or something like that. We're not used to that. That would be that would feel very strange and unorthodox and weird for sure, one hundred percent. The only other reason I can think of is this would hurt the NFL draft because then players would literally NFL rookies would have to play two full seasons within a calendar year, and you might end up in a situation where someone like a Trevor Lawrence might actually skip their junior season. But to which I would say, isn't it the NFL's problem? Uh, it, it's it's less of the the of college football's problem. I would I would argue, uh, and the only people people that would potentially skip a season like that are your elite of your elites, which is a, an extremely small number, anyways. I think you make good points there. I agree with a lot of them. Uh, I don't think you could play the Rose Bowl in May. I think the Rose Bowl is tied to the Rose Parade, which is. January 1st, and I think you'd have, uh, that would be the ultimate, like, tradition to break, uh, but, but realistically, I think the, the, the pros outweigh the cons, but also, realistically, you don't change things that have been done the way they've always been right. done, right. like, it just doesn't happen, Yeah. so, the, the, and, and uh, even, a even, worldwide even, pandemic might be able to do it, but sure. people will still want to go back to the way it was For because sure. that's yeah. what they know. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think you're right in that the, the tradition argument is the only argument, but it's also the, the argument that is least likely to change. For sure. Yeah. So like you can't reason with tradition. You can't, uh, point out, you know, the monetary, uh, advantages you can't have that argument with tradition because tradition right. is just well, well. Like I, I could I could argue why can't we make the NBA rims ten feet six inches? Yeah, and people will be like, well, because they're always been it's been ten feet for for so long. Yeah. Well, why couldn't you make them ten feet six inches? Yeah. And the only argument is because this is what the game because it, it's, this because is what we know game. the game is right yeah it's yeah. the same thing this is what we know I mean, college football is i mean co sport. college football could be like the uh the fia and f1 and just willy-nilly change rules in the middle of the season and this uh, is true <laughs> and if we talked about that, the f1 guys. we would we would discuss that for <laughs> but sure. uh that doesn't Party strike modes. me as a yeah. as a college football kind of uh yeah. kind of deal yeah so we, we can we, dream we, we can dream but we one thing we will not do is talk about how 
Mercedes party mode engine modes will not be part of the F1 season going forward because this is not an F1 podcast. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So how it affects Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas, we won't be discussing on this podcast, but we will be discussing your mailbag questions right now. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, let's start with a voicemail we got from Scott in Memphis. Hey, guys. Uh, long time no talk. This is Scott from Memphis. And, of course, this is the day after Pac-12 has declared no season for the fall, and I've listened to your podcast, most of it. And my question is, I thought that we have always been told that especially in the West Coast with UCLA and USC and all these schools, Cal Berkeley, that these are the most intelligent, advanced people in the world. And it seems to me that they sat around and did not come up with any concise, intelligent plan in order to make it safe for the kids who want to play football. And that's my other argument. Uh, if they all want to play football, then it's up to universities to make it as safe as possible. And then if you say, well, it, it just, it can't be safe, then you're not playing in the spring. I mean, if it can't be safe in the fall with all this time and effort, then it won't be safe in the spring and it won't be safe for next fall, uh, until they would come up, get a vaccine and they crush this. So this is what's really scary is that I don't believe that college football in the Pac-12 is going to be played for quite some time. And this is sad, but I believe a lot of this, you, uh, political, you may disagree, but is there not a contingent, a small contingent of people, very vocal, that don't like college football to begin with because they feel it's a violent sport and it hurts kids and it's distracting to the academia of the university. And I'm sure that they are very, very happy that fall is canceled and they want it to be canceled permanently, but for other reasons. So anyway, those are my thoughts. I hope the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 continue because that will force the Big 10 and the Pac-12 to rethink their decision. They're not going to do the fall, but the spring they will definitely see that that they need to let them play. But anyway, I'll be well and stay safe and not happy. Take care. Thanks for the call as always, Scott. Uh, Scott also emailed us a couple of times uh, with a couple of links to a Washington Post and a New York Times article. Uh, his second email said, I'm sorry to be pestering you with these articles, but if you read them, please, it's clear uh, that they just want to kill college football, especially in California. I don't buy that it's only for safety, fighting racial equality, question mark, question mark, question mark. College football is a perfect illustration of all races coming together for one cause. Do you really think that a white USC player would not block a Notre Dame defensive end who is also white and allow him to slobber knock tackle a USC running back because the Notre Dame player is white and the USC running back is African American? Question mark. Pathetic. Uh, this is the craziness coming out of the woodwork, jumping on the bandwagon of COVID-19 in order to kill joy the rest of our lives. Fight on, Scott. Uh, thanks for the call and the email, Scott. Um, I I think that there are certainly people out there who politicize college football 
and maybe look at it a little bit too um a little bit too deeply uh the the article i think that he's referring to there is the one from the washington post uh where it the the headline is the south won't give up on college football even if it kills us and the author uh diane roberts makes some claims about uh the sort of racial makeup of college football and the uh parallels between that and sort of plantation life and and all of that kind of stuff and and I think in in some instances she probably goes a little bit too deep in terms of uh and this is just my personal belief not every demographic has to have deeper meaning I think there are socioeconomical uh cultural things that go into uh who plays football and and who succeeds at football and and what the 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 makeup of um of college football teams are but I don't think it has to I don't you know I, I certainly wouldn't be relating it to um, slavery like some people have, have been wont to do. Uh, and and is their right to, to make that comparison. I just have never really bought into it. Uh, but I do think there are va- really valid points to bring up about the revenue split, about compensation for players. I know we endlessly have the debate about schol- whether or not scholarships are fair pay. I don't believe that they are. Um, and we will continue to have that back and forth. And, and until we sort of figure out uh, the worth of a player, I, I think you're going to continue to have these kinds of discussions. Um, are there people out there who don't like college football? I, I know there are. I, I've, I've, known, I've known enough uh, professors to say that, uh, that there are people out there who really are, you know, anti-football, don't like uh, the, the makeup of, of, um, of sort of academic uh, loosening academic standards for the sake of, of athletes and all sorts of other uh, complaints that, that I've heard from people over the years. But I don't think those are the people who are in the positions of power that are making these decisions, uh, which would be my rebuttal. I think to, to Scott's point on that would be, you know, the president of USC, like Carol Fultz, I don't think she can possibly hate football because football is the thing that funds the university, <laughs> the university athletics program. Uh, which are critical to the reputation that USC has uh, as a uh, as a university. The the community that USC has built is in you know explicitly connected to athletics and the community building that football uh, contributes to to the university. So uh, there's too much money at stake. There's too much reputation at stake uh, for that to be the reason why these uh the, the college presidents at least have pushed for uh, a, a delay or a, a cancellation of the of the fall season yeah i i think that there there's certainly people who don't like football and, and don't want football to have its strength and and all that that stuff but there's a reason that football is so prevalent on campuses uh and even in the Pac-12 there's a reason that the Pac-12 uh, schools invest a lot in athletics, um, and not just football, but in athletics as a whole, even if the culture isn't the same as it is in the SEC, the, it's the conference of champions for a reason, right? Like, we value athletics in this conference, even if there are a lot of academics who might not be interested in sports and might wish that money went to uh, fielding um, other types of research, right? And all this funding other types of research and all this stuff, right? At the end of the day, you know what 
what universities like more than um, than than they might dislike football, even in in the minorities that do dislike football, money, just money. I, I think people like money way too much. Uh, presidents, USC especially. Uh, that's why I, I've never understood the, the the idea that you know that USC's um, board of trustees and and the 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 powers that be that, that don't like football and value everything else above that. Football is a money maker. The biggest critique about USC as a university over the last ten years, uh, over the Nikias era, right, was that they valued money over anything, donations, all that. Football brings in money. Um, we we can talk about whether or not um, USC at least has valued football in the sense of if they valued winning at all costs versus winning uh, ten games and nine games and being happy with that. We can talk about that stuff, but in terms of the presence of football, that is something I've never questioned ever. Because football makes a lot of money, and if there's one thing USC loves, it's freaking money. And the same thing can be said for Oregon State. The same thing can be said for all these other schools. Even if they're smaller, even if they don't have the, the, the pageantry and the, and the USC history uh, in terms of football, those schools still love money. They all love money. Well, and, and M- money makes everything possible. And, and the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 wouldn't be pushing forward with this season if it wasn't about money. Right. And Notre Dame and uh, other schools wouldn't have pushed forward with having a normal on-campus semester if it wasn't about clearing tuition checks and, and all of that kind of stuff. So money indeed does make the world of college, uh, you know, academics and athletics go round. But at the same time, you know, there are broader sort of questions that each of these conferences are are dealing with. I think... If you're the SEC, the money question is so much greater than the Pac-12 that you have to hang on that little bit longer. So it does come down to the the, the money. I mean, we saw what was I, I saw on Twitter. You know, we had seen last week that Utah and USC sort of confirmed similar that their loss for this season would be something like fifty to sixty million dollars. Then I saw a figure from the Big Ten that it was going to be from like Iowa was going to be a hundred million dollars. So, like, the money at stake in the SEC is even bigger than that. And that is reason enough to continue to push forward as long as you can. The money issue that I think is driving the Big Ten and the Pac-12 is the liability money issue. And so it's just sort of the way that you look at it. I don't think it's, um, I, I don't think it's about wanting to, to kill college football in the Pac-12 or in California. I just think it's about the risk uh, what is it, the cost-benefit analysis that, that each of these individual conferences are doing. And you can disagree with the cost-benefit analysis that the Pac-12 came up with, but you have to recognize and, and accept that it was a cost-benefit analysis that was being done. And that's just the reality of the situation. And as we talked about earlier in this in this episode, the cost-benefit analysis for spring football will change. The community spread will change. Already we're seeing Los Angeles have uh, their numbers go down significantly. We've seen Florida have their numbers go, go down significantly. So uh, the cost-benefit will will change in the spring, and I don't think it'll be the same. And, and whether or not that produces the same results, whether or not we see moving forward with football or not, I, I think 
you can't judge the decision that happens in the spring against the decision that happened in the fall because the criteria that you're plugging in there is different. Yeah, I mean, we could get to the winter and then th- there's huge spikes and a huge second wave. Um, we could also get to that point where there's rapid testing that's readily available in a much easier, cost-effective way, too. Uh, which is why that I haven't, you know, written off um, spring football because there's no need to to nix it now. Leave that possibility open, especially when there's so many millions and millions of dollars to be had, even in a spring football season, if that were uh, certainly the case. Uh, we got two voicemail calls from Michael in Idaho. Let's go to those back to back. Hey guys, this is Michael in Boise, Idaho. I can't rant. I'm still depressed, and I'm going to be depressed until September 2021. I I heard Petros Papadakis, a former USC guy, on um, Clay Travis show earlier this week, and he was saying there's no way players can do spring and fall. And the other issue is, what if you tear up a knee or something? You're going to miss two years. Um, so, yeah, I'm having a hard time getting over it. I'm, uh, I've got a T-shirt that says uh, there are two seasons of the year, football and clinical depression. <laughs> and, man, it almost seems like I'm headed for clinical depression. Anyway, I hope you guys are able to keep the uh, podcast coming out. It's too bad you couldn't adopt my idea of uh, – or you couldn't get access to prior – classic games and broadcasts them. I didn't think you had the rights to them, but it was just a suggestion. Um, but actually, the reason I called primarily was to express my concern as to uh, that sucking sound of USC recruits who have committed to maybe uh, this year and next year heading for the SEC, ACC, that routine. Um, I'm wondering what your guys' thoughts are on that whole thing. Should you continue to issue podcasts, which I hope you will, if nothing else, for our medical needs uh, psychologically during these these trying times. Anyway, hang in there. Boise State's not doing anything either, so, you know, what can I say? God bless. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Hey, guys, this is Michael in Idaho. Man, your guy that answers the phone, he's on duty 24-7. That is so impressive. Anyway, this is probably, but I won't guarantee it, my last thought for a while, but I just heard the Domers mentioned. And you know what? Given that they're still playing and they're still going to play, I could almost root for them. Almost. Can't pull myself to do it, but the thought did cross my mind. Anyway, hope you're all staying healthy, especially given that you're in SoCal. Hang in there. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for the calls, as always, Michael. Hope you're doing well, especially since, yeah, this is absolutely a depressive season I mean, uh, it's, for, for a depressive, depressive year, calendar year. Yeah, 2020, is just, it's just been a full-blown uh, season of, of depression, and, and definitely feeling you on that, but... I gotta say, Michael and Idaho, I'm I'm a little bit worried for you. Not, I mean, we're all feeling depressed, and we all need to band together to try and get through these times. But I worry that you might be, you know, flirting with insanity a little bit there. To think of rooting for Notre Dame, like why you should st- be cheering? Step back, them. man. Like no, 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 no. You th- went to Notre Dame. You should be happy about this. <laughs> Notre Dame High School, for the record, and Same also, thing. and also, I mean. There are other teams out there, Michael. There are other alternatives, Michael. Just take a deep breath. Take a deep breath and and turn away from the insanity. Turn away, man. Turn away. You, you never know. You never. You I might mean, have to. You, you might. You, Alicia, might have to to dust off your uh, your plaid skirt and the whole bit. Oh, <laughs> uh, we didn't have plaid skirts for the record. They were khaki or 
Karki, Kar- as the, Karki, uh, as the, as <laughs> the, the Brits, Brits say, yeah. apparently. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, in, in terms of the first call, um, talking about spring and how could you play two seasons in one calendar year, and what if you tear an ACL and lose two seasons? I thought Pete Thamel had a really interesting tweet on Tuesday. Uh, he said, sources, colon, the NCAA Football Oversight Committee also discussed its general support of the idea not to, quote, charge a season of eligibility this year. That was just a conversation, not a formal recommendation. D1 Council meets on that Wednesday. Big implications to eventual decision. Alicia, this would be fascinating. I think it's a good idea, a really good idea, because we know that, you know, these the student-athletes are, the, sorry, the players. Can we just call them players? Yeah. The players are going to have the op- opportunity um, to to opt out. Um, but we, there's also a wide variance across college football. If the SEC and ACC and Big 12 play, um, then how does their calendar, how, how does their clock, scholarship clock still go, but not the Pac-12 and the Big 10s? Um, it's a little weird, a little funky that way. Uh, so it makes sense to make this sort of a free year in terms of eligibility. If that goes through, that would that would prevent the the weirdness of potentially missing two seasons due to an ACL tear. Um, if you tore it in, say say you tore your ACL in in February in preparation of the spring uh, football season, then you would probably miss that one and and the the fall semester as well. Um, it would only mean one season if one was not charged uh, for eligibility, which would be um, helpful, certainly. Yeah, I think it's a no-brainer, actually. I think uh, it's obvious that that's what they should do, is that they should just basically hit pause on the on the scholarship clock. That will create a complication where now you need to figure out, well, how do you deal with the 85-man roster and all that kind of stuff, but... I think you have to figure out how to do that. That's not a good enough reason to push forward with the scholarship devastation I think that you'd have uh, between the different conferences and all that kind of stuff. So I think they will have to to sort that out and that will address one of the one of the concerns. The other thing on the on the playing two seasons thing that I, I continue to see and I just think again it's it's just sort of missing the 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 the, the boat on what we're actually talking about when we say play a spring season, we're not saying play 12 season, 12 games in spring and 12 games in the fall. I'm not talking about 24 games in, in, in one calendar year. What we're talking about is 16 or 18 games in a calendar year, which is essentially what, you know, I, I think uh, LSU played uh, 16 games in the, in this past, uh, this past season. So it, you know, it, it's not like you're, putting a ton on on the players you're doing a spring season when they would already be doing spring camp when they would already be having full pads practices and and uh and and basically like mock games like usc would have every weekend so uh, i think it, it can be done um you just have to recognize that it will be done in an unorthodox kind of way but still done in a in a way that's safe for the overall health of the players uh you know that, that they're not forcing too much on their bodies, but I think you can schedule it out that there's plenty of time in between and that you can ease them back for the, for a shortened fall season as well. Like we talked about earlier, but also thank you. uh, Thank you, Michael, as always for your support. And uh, yeah, we will be continuing the podcast. Um, We will be continuing the Patreon. We will be, you know, 
charging forward on everything, uh, you know, at least once a week with the podcast like we've been doing. Uh, and un- unfortunately, we won't be able to do CarCast and we won't be able to do, uh, you know, the normal like two episodes that we would do there in the fall. But we'll still be here covering whatever it is that comes up uh, on the USC side of things as the as the fall progresses. Yes, indeedy. Uh, let's go to Sean in Mid-City, who says, Across the board, who do you think will regress the most by not playing for a year? Which Pac-12 team slash which side of the USC ball slash which position group slash which player? Uh, and could Keaton Slovis lose his magic? Um, I think on the plus side, uh, it sounds like the NCAA is going to approve sort of a 12 hours a week of practice in the fall. So it's not like they're going to be sitting on the couch. They'll be able to continue to install uh, the schemes and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, I think USC might be a little bit concerning as far as the players that they could lose to the NFL or, or to, you know, going pro in whatever that they want to want to go pro in. Uh, but so much of that is, is so hard to say that at this point, I just, I'm not entirely sure. I, I don't think Keaton Slovis will lose his magic, though, unless USC loses Graham Harrell. Yeah, um, I, I think hmm, if, there's, if there's a unit to point to, uh, I would say it'd be the offense or defensive line. Uh, if you end up losing like Tufele and Tuipolotu and Peely um, to the NFL, if they all decided to go to the NFL early, for instance, um, and on the same thing on the offensive side of the ball, if that happened on the offensive side with Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, you certainly could lose, um, you know, some some progress by not playing a year strictly by those guys leaving early. Uh, in in terms of development, I. I I don't know. I, I think it's. I think it's so much of a crapshoot. It's hard to predict, um, and it's almost like a player by player thing. Because not only is this going to be a a situation of which team ba- balances these things better, but which players do, which players stay bought in. Uh, I think you're going to end up seeing players you didn't expect um, maybe win starting jobs when football does come back, and you're going to see players who started maybe struggle and whatnot because because everyone's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a mixed bag of literally everything. Keaton Slovis, sure, could lose some of his magic, but he also could take three steps forward. I think that all yeah. of this is going to be put into sort of a randomizer, well, and, uh, which is going to make it difficult. And some players are motivated by playing games, and some players are motivated by that they can grow in practice, and some players can't, and... You know, some players will work out on their own and some players weren't. Some p- players will spend all year looking yep. at film and getting that much better and some won't. Yep. Uh, Evan says Sam Howell or Keaton Slovis. I just didn't watch enough of Sam Howell, but me, me neither. Keaton Slovis. Good was, num- really good numbers. Yeah. He did play the full season, I believe. So I I, I think that a little more experience there. Um, but I, I, I like Keaton Slovis for what he did. I just need to watch more Sam Howell to to uh to really say anything uh, anything definitive there for me. Yeah, same. Uh LA Fred, do you, did you guys see the campus outbreaks in Notre Dame and North Carolina this week as students came back on campus, both now immediately going remote? Does this change your outlook for a college football season at all fall or spring? Uh no, because this is just I think in line with what the expectations need to be. Uh if you expected that this stuff didn't happen, wasn't going to happen. I think that maybe 
your expectations were a little too optimistic. I think uh, these there's going to be setbacks, and it's how you get through those setbacks. If Notre Dame can can get through this, more power to them. I, again, I'm a little skeptical and cynical, and I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, I think it's less likely now that the fall season will happen. Um, spring season, you have to see what happens in December, really. Yes, indeed. Uh, now we're going into the off-topic stuff. Uh, L.A. Fred, with this current heat wave cooking the West this last week, would you rather be too hot or too cold? My thing is that I can always put on more clothing or a blanket to get warm, but you're screwed in the heat. Dude, you you, you nailed it. That's it. That, yeah. That's the answer. That's always been my calculation. Although when I am really cold, like when I'm on a backpacking trip and my sleeping bag is not doing the trick, like there's few things more miserable than just being like actively cold. Uh, where at least if you're... I mean, being on a trail seems miserable in general. <laughs> if you're actively hot and you just lay down, like, you could just fall asleep just in whatever. Um, but 99.99% of the time, your thinking, Fred, is exactly the right one. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, David Orange County, who you got in the NBA playoffs? Playoffs? You know about playoffs? Playoffs? My Clippers, who I haven't really watched a minute of in the bubble, are <laughs> who I got in the playoffs. Yeah, I, 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 I couldn't. I tell found you. it very I think hard. The Clippers would be a good story. I, you'd think I would be starved for sports, but like I, I've, I've actually found it very hard to watch sports during this whole thing, just because it's so not normal. It just reminds me of how not normal life is right now. Yeah, and. We wouldn't talk about F1 on this podcast because it's not an F1 podcast. Well, see, the thing is, I've never experienced F1 not in COVID-19 restrictions, so it doesn't feel abnormal to me. It's all new. Sure. Uh, Touche. David Orange County also says, what was your go-to at the ice cream truck as a kid? That's a good question. I just remember always getting the one that was like red, white, and blue. Oh, the um, the, the like bomb rocket, pop. yeah, the bomb pop thing. Yeah, that's the only one I. I know I didn't always get that, but that's the one I remember. Okay, um, I was usually a uh, ice cream sandwich guy. Uh, I liked the traditional ice cream sandwich. the The cookie one was okay. the The chocolate chip cookie one, um, the, the it was usually too hard. I, I feel like those are best if you get like a Dee Dee Reese kind of warm, you know fresh cookie to to be the actual cookie in an ice cream sundae. Uh, other one is a, a crunch bar, crunch ice cream bar. Mm. Fantastic. Those are always really good. And sometimes you just like a big stick. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next one, David Orange County. Uh, one of the podcasts I listen to is doing a 16 uh, sandwich tournament. Who you got in the final four championship matchup? And your championship, uh, Alicia. I thought we could do this like the food ball playoff. I was going to say that's exactly that what we this do sounds like. with uh, with with Jake with takes with Jake, which we need to record soon here. Uh, so I put together my final four and ranked the seeds. Uh, what, what, do, what do you got? All right, I go um, meatball sandwiches number one, uh, Italian beef number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I go like a roast beef. Mm-hmm. Number three and um 
uh actually move all of those a step down and let's put uh Ike's Robin Williams <laughs> okay, number okay. one. <laughs> Ike's Robin Williams against ro- uh, roast beef who wins? Ike's Robin Williams. Okay. Meatball against Italian beef who wins? Uh meatball. Meatball against Robin Williams. Robin Williams. Alright. Uh chalk for you in the final four. Uh my final four is number one seed grilled cheese. Uh, the number two seed is meatball. Number three is Italian beef. Number four is chicken parm. And there's gonna be an upset here because I think chicken. I, if we're talking about, are we talking about these Ceiling. sandwiches at the best of their their, yeah. their powers? I think we're talking about them at the best of their powers. In which case, I think the four seed wins. This I one. think the the best chicken parm beats the best grilled cheese. Yeah, but if you the were, best meatball beats the best Italian beef, but the best chicken parm beats the best meatball. But if you were talking about reliability, then the grilled cheese and the meatball would be the easy choices there because you, it's hard to go wrong on those ones. Correct. Yeah. 100%. Uh, Dave also says, uh, have you watched Ted Lasso on Apple TV Plus? Uh, no, neither neither of us have, have watched that. No. 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 Sorry. Nope. Uh, Trini says, what's been your go-to quarantine snack? I don't know that I've had a go-to. I don't know. There's been just just one thing. Uh, still, I'm always down for 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 a Dilla. You know what it is for me? It's uh, at some point I stocked up on cereal, mm-hmm. and so cereal has become my go-to snack. Mm-hmm. I I have several boxes of Tricks. I have a box of Honeycomb. I have a box of Cocoa Puffs. Um, I have a box of uh, it's like a whole drawer over there. They're just lined up. They're just yeah. lined up, and they're beautiful. And I can just go and grab a bowl of cereal whenever I want. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, next one, aside from F1, which we won't talk about on this podcast, is not an F1 podcast. Uh, what hobbies have you picked up these days? Uh, the F1 video game. <laughs> yes, that's, that's, that's uh, a good one. That I also, a new hobby. I got a, uh, I got a Nintendo Switch near the start of quarantine, so I was really into Animal Crossing for a little bit, and then now I'm just sort of like playing Stardew Valley every moment that I'm not working or playing F1. Yep, uh, the F1 video game would be the answer for me. Uh, F1 2020, put out by Codemasters. Uh, Trini's next question, if you had to script a COVID-themed TV series, what would it be about, and who is your star? Um, this is tough. I don't know what the story, what, what's the angle? I don't know what the angle is. I would watch a COVID-themed TV series where... Walter White and uh, and uh, Jesse Pinkman tried to navigate cooking meth well in the middle of quarantine, but and and how can how can they get away from from their their situations? How is the meth business impacted by uh, mask mandates? That that would be more interesting than like a uh, a, a a medical procedural. Yeah, would be very and and be a poli- very heavy and a political drama would be very annoying Fraught. at this time. Yeah, I, I would not want to watch that. Um, yeah, I, I think it you would- know what I, what would be cool though something like just sports related, like a almost a sitcommy like sports team in the bubble. Uh, okay, like so like uh, series. Uh, Big Brother. You yes. take you take Big Brother, but but you make it a 
a fictionalized account. Yes. Where a sports team is in is their, in own, their bubble. own bubble. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have like personalities clashing. And they're just all and, bottle episodes. Yeah. And they're all, yeah, they would all, it would be a series of bottle episodes about teams in a bubble. And you could film bottle episodes during core. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Uh, next question comes from Marcella. What are some fun USC focused ways to continue to crap on the Astros? Uh, I don't think you need USC focus to crap on the Astros. You just crap on the Astros. Well, you you could point out that the Astros have not legitimately won a a pennant since Morgan Ensberg, USC star, was on the team. Oh, well, there you go. That's that's how to do it, Marcelo. <laughs> this is Michael's forte, not mine. Yeah, Morgan Ensberg, Jason Lane, two Trojan stars from the 1998 College World Series, which somewhere I need to find. I have a tape, a audio tape that I recorded the audio of that game and I used to listen to it all the time um it was Fred Lynn uh was on the was the the color man and uh uh Sean McDonough was the play-by-play man and McDonough uh his voice cracks when Jason Lane hits the grand slam to to give him the uh the record for for RBIs I at one point in my life I used to did Word by word, tell you that that home run call. Can't do it anymore. Hmm. Something about Jason Lane sets the College World Series record with a home run in the World Series. Something like that. I don't remember what it was. And and then Fred Lynn's like, Kinsmith, karma. <laughs> what so, whatever you say. So, something like, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, last one. Tweet from Graham. What's the worst thing you can put on a pizza? The answer is pineapple. Thanks for listening. No, the I love pineapple on pizza. I actually had a really bomb Hawaiian pizza the other night, uh, so that was uh, very nice. The pineapple. worst thing, and you'll agree with this, Michael, the worst thing you can put on a pizza is one of two things. It's anchovies and it's jalapenos. I mean, I'll agree with you for sure on those yeah. two. For sure, yeah. Also, pineapples. You could sooner eat pineapple pizza if you were, like, forced to eat it. You would enjoy that more than eating a pizza with... Anchovies or jalapenos. Uh, beg to differ. Beg to differ. But nope. I digress. Thanks for listening. As always, it's been a long episode. Yeah. <laughs> no, no football, and we go super long. Go figure. Uh, as always, you can support the show over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Uh Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps the show as well. Give us five stars. We'll be your best friend forever. Phone number 213-373-1872. Email address ranftroy at fansire.com. Alicia, give us the final word. The final word is hot dog pizza. As in, I was watching an episode of Good Mythical Morning with my brother, and they had they were doing like hot dogs from around the world, and one of the hot dogs from around the world is from the Netherlands, which is literally like an open-faced hot dog upon which you build like a, a pizza. So you've got like pizza sauce, cheese, and like pepperonis or whatever on top of a hot dog that you then fold into like a hot dog and eat, which I, I very much want to try now. I'm just going to cut, cut the recording. This is <laughs> very upsetting. <laughs> hot dogs and pizzas, both things you like. Separately. <laughs> things that should not touch. We'll, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.